So where are you tuning in from? Uh, I'm in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Okay. I've only been there once. It was like a one day stop. And then we went to Howda. Is that how you say it? Howda? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm Dutch. I'm, I'm originally Australian, but yeah, I, I get you. <laughs> yeah, we went there and then we went to Amsterdam. So oh. yeah, it must be pretty late where you are because it's 11 o'clock here in Denver. So it must be what, 6 p.m., 7 p.m.? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm more of an afternoon kind of guy. So like I usually get to the studio around 12, work till like 8 p.m., 9 p.m. So this is prime time. Hell yeah. And there's not, is there not much going on in the Netherlands right now, like event wise? Oh no, everything's kind of gotten shut down. Yeah. I, the government here is a little bit more, um, they like to play things safe. And so because of that, they were like, they, they t- tried to go for the policy of like, we want to minimize as much harm as we possibly can, as opposed to uh, say, for instance, the government in the United States, which is, we want the people to be free, different kind of ethos. And uh, as, as a result of that means that like, uh, unfortunately the music industry is, is really struggling right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially your industry because hard dance is very dominant in the Netherlands and That's like, right. yeah. So yeah. it's been, a, it's been a trying, oh, I don't know, 24 months or whatever it is. I'm lucky that I just had an Australia tour. So that's kind of like managed to um, pay the bills and I managed to get out of there before everything got locked down and Omicron went bonkers over there. But uh, I've got a little bit of pocket change to be able to sort myself out. But a lot of my colleagues are not in the same position as I am. So yeah, they're really hurting. And this is um, I mean, I don't want to say that like it's a uh, one of the biggest industries here, but one of the things that this country is famous for is their music industry, is their electronic music industry, and so many people, so many different companies of all sizes, like the really, really big ones like Q Dance and, and, and B2S and IDNT, are struggling as much as like some of the smaller ones. And a lot of people folded, you know. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. ah, it's hard to put a positive spin on it. It's um, it's a bit tough. I mean, hopefully things pick back up, but you have some shows coming up in the States too, right? Like Ultra Miami? Um, yeah, we've got, so uh, Ultra is coming up. I just got a request in for uh, EDC, uh, Las Vegas, which would be oh, cool. Oh, yeah. wait, The Wasteland stage? Uh, yeah, the Wasteland stage. So yeah, that'd be really cool. And, um, we'll see how the year plays out as well. I don't want to say anything cause I might jinx stuff. And I mean, in this, in this time, like it's one of those periods where we, anything could happen, like could get announced and then things get shut down and then, yeah, you don't know. So what is really exciting, I think, is uh, the fact that, yeah, Las Vegas, uh, again, Wasteland Stage, but Ultra, the first time that they're having hard dance there ever. And yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what you guys have heard, but over here uh, in the hard dance world, it was kind of notorious that the people high up in Ultra uh, didn't want any hard style and would tell a lot mm-hmm. of the DJs not to play hard style specifically. So the fact that this is happening, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's really unique and really special. So that's exciting. No, I agree. Like the day that the ultra lineup got announced, we were automatically sending it, sending it to our group. And we were like, this is the year of hard dance. Like this just reinforces it. And I think it's cool too, to see how it's taking over in America. Cause right now, I mean, in, in the last few years, like obviously dubstep is kind of king around here, at least in Denver and the West coast, but, Mm. um, you know, hard dance artists are getting booked here in Denver now, and we're starting to see them show up on these huge festival lineups. So Mm -hmm. it's a really cool time to be part of the scene. Mm. Yeah. And it was cool to see a whole stage takeover at EDC Orlando. 
at the oh, Stereo yeah. Bloom stage where Kuhn played and Anime, uh, Geo, uh, mm-hmm. Soren, Kami, like all those guys played. And like, there were so many people, like thousands That's of people. And I was like, yeah. wow, never thought that we'd see the day that our dance will be slowly taking over so it's like really exciting but other than those two shows do you have others coming up that you can maybe announce Um, in the states at least in the states look i mean we're sort of playing it by ear those are the two main ones that are that are happening Uh, i was speaking to my agent this morning there's some other stuff in the works again can't really say anything just yet because we might jinx it um (laughs) we're not too sure but uh we're just kind of playing it by ear uh that's all in the back pocket and I mean, something cool to the point about hard dance expanding here now is um, with Dubs of FBI. So we started it as a bass music publication. And over the last two years, it's gained so much traction that we're expanding into other genres of EDM. So you cool. are actually the first guest that we've had on the podcast who is not bass music related. All right. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Really exciting. I would yeah. have thought you would have got somebody else like uh, somebody who's already there, like local already, like like Link, who just released mm-hmm. on, on uh, Welcome, uh, or maybe Little Texas or whatever. So the fact I'm the first, it's like, yeah, popping that yeah. hard dance cherry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, popping cherries left and right. <laughs> I love that. No, we actually, we have um, Little Texas. We want to investigate him. Um, and then we actually work with Kami, the Kami boys, and we work oh, with cool. Hardcore too. So like happy hardcore, UK hardcore, those cool. are all things that we want to keep looking into and start publishing news about it. So. Oh, fantastic. No, it's good to hear. Like you said, it's, um, it's very exciting that hard dance is growing. I mean, I've been playing in the States, uh, for a good while now. Um, and, um, to see it sort of grow and, you know, to get recognized, uh, it's really exciting for me because of course, yeah, more, more shows and everything, but just generally to see the taste change of, and people to recognize, uh, what I enjoy in the music mm-hmm. and they start to cotton onto it as well. I think it's, is really exciting. And I think the thing is what's really interesting about the States as well, is that it's so huge. So the fact that like this now is coming in is sort of like, ah, oh, sweet. We hopefully start to see other cities pop up besides Denver and besides the West coast um and see some stuff happening like like right in the middle in the heartland of the country that'd be really exciting as well Mm -hmm. yeah so what is the how is it like playing a hard dance show say like in australia europe in the states like are they all super different i'm assuming from coming from the netherlands to the states obviously it's not very dominant out here but like let's say from europe and australia we've never been to hard dance shows out there so I guess, what are the crowds like? Are they very different? Yeah, very different. Like, so obviously in the Netherlands, because this is very much their music, they're switched on and they know every edit, every pre-release stuff. They're Mm -hmm. really, really like on the ball. It's a a kind of... I think of the the fans here in the Netherlands sort of like a laser. And when you're like in the beam, perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you side of the beam or whatever, it can be a little bit, a uh, little bit interesting, but the intensity when you're in the beam is like really, really intense. It's really, it's really cool and very rewarding. Uh, Australia is another, I would say it's the second bastion of hard dance in, in the world because um, we've had a huge culture there uh, for, for hard music for, for 20 years, you know, like when Dutch hardcore was a thing, 
you know, back in the, in the early nineties, mm-hmm. the Aussies cottoned onto it as well. And while it hasn't, there hasn't been that many exports in the same way as there has been in the Netherlands. And obviously the market is, is a lot smaller and we're quite far removed. There's still some huge festivals that happened. Like the one that I just played, um, was like a 15,000 people festival, only hard dance, wow. one stage, uh, Epic, mm-hmm. uh, from HSU massive. And before COVID we had loads of these happening. Um, so to play to the Aussies, besides the fact that it's just a home crowd, um, they're also really switched on and really passionate for hard dance. And they know a lot of the songs like that has just been released or about to be released. Now, the difference between playing in the States is they like the vibe, Mm -hmm. but they're not as educated, which is good and it's bad. It means that they're less critical, which is awesome. Uh, So you can experiment and be a Mm -hmm. little bit more genre agnostic. Um, Whereas here, if you play drum and bass in the middle of a hardcore set, uh, people will stop dancing. Maybe <laughs> they won't, throw, they won't throw bottles, but they'll just be like, what the hell is this? We, we, we came here for hardcore. You've switched it up. No. And even if it's for a couple of minutes, they'll, they'll get pretty upset. Um, whereas that's completely different in the States. They feel the music rather than they know the music. And so the benefit of that is, is that if they're, they're with you as a performer, then they're really with you and they'll just go with you. They don't care too much this in the same way that the Dutch people do uh, about the genre and what you're playing. So pros and cons, um, the energy is different in terms of how they dance and what they do mm-hmm. here. Uh, they have a very specific dance. They, they dance the Hakan kind of yes. thing. <laughs> in Australia, yeah. they have their own variation of it. Whereas um, in, uh, in the States, they don't do that dance. They sort of just mm-hmm dance, like interpret it in their own way. And you'll get a handful of people that are educated uh, that will try and hearken or some people like way mm-hmm. out the back room, they'll try and do a jump style uh, kind of thing. A couple of shufflers here and there, uh, but for the most part, they're not as like, this is how it has to be kind of thing, which I think is refreshing. And it's really exciting because I like to keep, uh, I like to play uh, uh, um, a huge sort of palette of different styles of, of hard dance or just music that's energetic. So be it drum and bass or dubstep or or hard trap or or, or like donk Russian hard bassy kind of stuff. Uh, I try and fit it all in my set because I look for music that is energetic rather than specifically within a in a genre. And, uh, so I can get away with that a lot more and push the boundaries a lot further when I play in the States. And, and of course in Australia as well, cause it's kind of like a home crowd. So they just go with me, but here in, in the Netherlands, uh, they're way more like in the beam laser mm-hmm, phone. Mm-hmm. That's so yeah. funny. Yeah. Our friend Joe, he loves hard dance. He's from the UK. He is such a good dancer. Like he can hack, he can gabber, he can do like all of those dances. And then when I tried, when we were at the EDC Orlando stage, I just felt like I was embarrassing myself. I didn't know what I was doing. Like some people in the crowd, you can spot them out. They're few and far between. But sure. from yeah, from what I've seen, at least on like the videos and when we went to Tomorrowland and stuff, like the Europeans, like they really know how to dance to hard dance and us Americans, not so much quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things. They've just been exposed to it and they, they kind of came up with the dance as well. Just like, um, I mean, it's not so popular in Melbourne anymore, but like seeing people dance, uh, like in, in Melbourne, uh, like 10 years ago and like only shuffling only shuffling now it's like kind of muzzing gabbering and and, yes. and a handful of shuffling but like yep. i think because it was yep. like the origin then yeah whereas it's you know it's different uh, to different styles of music in uh in, in the states as well like you don't really get headbangers to uh to hardcore here yeah, yeah. who would even headbang to hardcore that's kind of <laughs> 
I don't know. That's I feel like fast. they probably couldn't do it to that. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I just think back. So we went to Tomorrowland in 2018 and there was a stage where phase one, um, barely alive virtual riot and like the dubstep was playing on day three and mm-hmm. we get there and it's all Americans. They're the ones head banging. And then we didn't hear any other dubstep the rest of the weekend. So it's kind of oh, funny. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've always tried to figure out what that was. Like, what what is it about? Like in the European side of things, I think they just don't like the broken beats. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kick and snare kind of combination. Be that like drum and bass stuff. Even though there's pockets of drum and bass uh, stuff, like Let It Roll Festival, for example, they they do their thing, and then all, over in the UK, but it's not the dominant form of music. Whereas I feel like over in the states, kick drum led stuff is not as dominant so you've got a huge culture of, of like rock and hip-hop which is effectively broken beat stuff mm-hmm. um, you know, kick and snare um so i think maybe it's got something to do with that i'm not entirely too sure but it's really cool when you go internationally you know outside of what you would expect and then you end up at like oh here's the station here's all my people and they're all dancing and having a good time that's cool yeah everyone had their american flags and we even met some people from colorado which is where we're mm-hmm. from so that was pretty oh, awesome. Hey, that's awesome we're like wow of course course Colorado bass heads here we go (laughs) that's too too sick so I was actually curious to hear what your thoughts are about DEFCON being canceled by the government indefinitely it's something that we heard out here and we were trying to go out there and then we heard that it just basically got canceled so like what are your thoughts on all that yeah, so that's DEFCON 1 Australia, because here in the Netherlands it hasn't been. But DEFCON 1 Australia, it was like, look, the, the, this has really got to do with the flavor of government that we had or still have, really. And um, the Australian government, when they've always been kind of like anti-party, anti-youth, um, and very safe. Uh, so when something happens, like be it... Um, uh, like a, a drug overdose, and, and unfortunately these things happen, um, then the media jumps on it and the politicians jump on it and they take a very hard stance to win over the voters. And, uh, you know, a lot of the voters of like our parent generation kind of thing, they they try and win them over by taking as like a zero tolerance policy. So they had a very, very... Um, DEFCON was like a scapegoat. DEFCON 1 mm-hmm. Australia was like a scapegoat for them to make an example of and to really clamp down on. And it was just so sad and so frustrating because um, it had been going so strong for such a long time. Uh, I remember playing at the, the, the first DEFCON 1 Australia back in 2009. And um, to see that grow was a real cool indicator of saying like, yes, there is a scene outside of the Netherlands. We have something happening in Australia as well. And this is a really cool, um, uh, I guess litmus test to see how like hard dance has grown and electronic music in Australia has grown rather than just being this kind of specialized, uh, festival. So to have that disappear was, was really heartbreaking. And, um, I, again, it really goes to show like the the, the kind of government that, that we have. And it was more like, if I have to do any finger pointing, it's kind of like, yeah, that really sucked how they did that. Now, the thing is when something dies, it gives the opportunity for something else to grow. So um, I mentioned before that I played a, a 15,000 people festival, one stage hard dance festival um, when I went over to Australia back in December, that company wouldn't have been able to have the same success. Uh, HSU wouldn't have been able to grow the way that they grew if it wasn't for uh, DEFCON having to, to shut their doors and pack up and leave Australia. So it was such a strong and dominant festival that a lot of people recognized, but out of that, some good things happened as well. Um, so it's sort of like, 
I don't know. There's pros and cons for it. It's sad, obviously, because of what DEFCON is and what it represents. It's such a huge brand. Everybody knows it worldwide. And it was really cool to start to see some American visitors would come over. Instead of going over the way to the mm-hmm. Netherlands, they'd come over to the Australian one or some crazy people would, would do both. But, you know, because of those doors being shut, it does allow uh, opportunities to open as well. And I think it's healthy for there to be multiple brands representing mm-hmm as well. So the fact that HSU is leading the way in Australia as opposed to Q-Dance kind of conquering everything, I think is a good thing and competition is a good thing. Imagine, right, if house music was totally controlled by ultra music, all right, by ultra yeah. festival. If like that was the only place where you could get like a house experience or, or, or Tomorrowland or something mm-hmm. along those lines, that wouldn't be healthy. But by having the music represented by different brands, by different promoters investing in and being successful uh, from from that kind of music, that is a healthy thing. And I think competition is healthy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you mentioned your performance in 2009, like, oh my gosh, you have been in the scene for a while. How have you seen Hard Dance evolve in the last like 15 years or so, or since you got started? Um, I think of it as from a production perspective. So because I'm a producer at heart first and the DJ uh, second. Um, so I'll just kind of get a little bit nerdy and then, and then I'll, I'll try and make sense of my rambling. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that before hard dance used to be a little bit more progressive, maybe this is because of a vinyl thing and, and DJs back then um, preferred longer mixing styles where you'd get songs that were like six minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes long kind of thing. And it was closer in structure and flow to techno, which is mm-hmm. one of the the, the, the um, ancestors of the music. So in that aspect, music started getting faster. It started getting uh, tighter in terms of arrangement um, and appealing to um, a crowd that kind of wanted the meat and potatoes of the song right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that, and I would even go as far as to say because of the uh, explosion of EDM, it changed the way that uh, hard dance was written. So instead of being less progressive, it started going more towards a kind of like break drop formula. So dubstep is a great example of, of what I call the break drop formula where you get the break, something happens, it'll build up and then you get the drop and then maybe it'll break down again and build drop. And you kind of get like this mm-hmm. pretty rigid kind of structure. Whereas a lot of early hard dance was kind of very flowy and maybe it'll cool down here and go back up and cool down here. And, you know, it's just this kind of long going thing. That's good because our attention spans have changed so mm-hmm. much. I was going to um, say that, yeah. Yeah, so be that because of like social media or maybe social media is the response to the way that we've uh, changed our attention spans. I don't know which way to, to think which came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't know. But one of the things that I've noticed to, to answer the question is songs getting shorter, arrangements getting tighter, uh, mixing getting a lot punchier and clickier. And, and um, so on that side of things, that's been kind of cool because mm-hmm. like, I mean, I like the tighter arrangements, you know, for, for I get a lot of inspiration from bass music. And so seeing that genre evolve and then saying, how can we bring this into our stuff? And then seeing our, our hard dance take that influence because of the way that people are consuming music has been re- really exciting. Now on the DJ side of things as well, I'm starting to see that too, where again, like bass music DJs will throw in almost 50 tracks in a set, like mm-hmm. hyper quick mixing, double drops, um, all this sort of stuff. Um, that wasn't a thing in hard dance. If you listen to sets from, from hard dance uh, from 
I don't know, 10 years ago plus, you'll get uh, sets with maybe 12 tracks in a set. Wow. Wow. Very, very slow and progressive mixing, um, letting the tracks kind of do their thing. And this has partly got to do with the arrangement where it wasn't arranged in a build drop kind of way. It was more like, we'll have like a verse one and then it'll go down. And then maybe like, this will happen here in the climax. That'll be completely different and unrelated. And so the songs were a little bit more, um, yeah, well longer. Mm -hmm. So as a DJ, the, the mixing was completely different. Now it's changed where you'll have a lot of very quick and tight mixing. Again, maybe as a response to uh, the attention spans mm -hmm. of our oh, audiences. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, for myself, I've kind of got a bit of ADHD anyway. So like I- <laughs> We all do nowadays. <laughs> yeah. How many IDs can you fit into this mix? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and, and the technology has also allowed us to do that as well. Like just on the, on the, on the CDJs, for example, you know, or your, or your cue points or your hot cues or that sort of stuff it allows you to be able to be like super quick where back in the days if you had like a cd and you know uh, mm -hmm. or even a vinyl you're like oh wow i've got to load it on or i've got to wait for the thing to read and all this sort of stuff and now it's completely different you know sd card in way you go thousands of tracks ready to go hot cue all over the place you can mix like a madman so that's the main thing that i've noticed and i'm, I'm thinking of it like a, a a dj and a producer the main thing that i've noticed songs are getting tighter mixing getting quicker attention spans getting shorter and for me that's fun. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I guess, uh, and this is probably kind of universal as well is like the level of professionalism and production, um, at the events, uh, has, you know, just skyrocketed kind of thing. Um, you know, it's no longer just setting up some, some speakers, uh, in a warehouse and, and away you go like hard yeah. dance being on the lower tier of the, the side of the prestige of electronic music and, and sort of house music uh, being sort of up there. You know, we're kind of like relegated uh, for a lot of the times outside of the bigger flagship festivals to uh, 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 a, um, a kind of mediocre setup. And um, now it's completely changed where, you know, people want the festival experience in the clubs uh, for whatever clubs still exist. So um, that's been interesting to see as well. Um, how this is going to work throughout the year, because we're still kind of in a pandemic and a lot of the clubs here in Europe are, are shut down. Um, we shall see, but that's one of the things that I've noticed as well. Like people upping their game in trying to replicate a festival experience, um, in a small yeah. setting. No, that absolutely. Is, that's <laughs> such an interesting metaphor that you brought up about how like the, the generational differences as they keep evolving, it's more instant. It's like the instant like generation. And then looking at the parallels between that and how music has evolved and to be a little bit more instant, even when people send, send us songs, like I find myself, I'll just kind of skip to where I know the drop is about to come and then I'll check it out. Like I don't, sometimes I don't even have that patience to listen to the buildup some days, but um, yeah, that's such an interesting metaphor to think about. Mm, definitely. And it's good and it's bad. I mean, it's, it, I don't think it's one of those things where you can kind of wind back the clock too much. Like how can you teach people patience when they don't want to be patient, I don't um, know. <laughs> but yeah, at the same yeah. time, I guess all we can do is, as content content creators is sort of adapt um, and and whatever. Like there are different styles of music that appreciate the the lower, the slower kind of evolving sort of stuff. Um, but let's be real, you know, is is jazz going off at EDC? Is there a jazz stage? Is that what's happening? Oh my god. <laughs> 
Can you imagine? Hey, maybe an art car, a jazz art car. That'd be sick. Maybe. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like the come down art car. There you go. Some guy in a little EPN and then a saxophone next to him. And then maybe some guy in a flute. And it's kind of like, yeah, we're just here to give you good vibes, man. I love it. That, that would be so funny. Hey, actually, that'd be cool. It would be like a little, yeah, like a little art cart just driving around, you know, mm-hmm. like if there's a food court area, you can just use a, nice. use a little Thank art cart, drive around and you're eating your food and listening to jazz. Mm-hmm. Like, I love it. I love that it. That would be quite the festival experience, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is something that would work at EDC as well. Like with all the spectacular um, setups, like all the little pockets of like production stages and mini kind of things mm-hmm. here and there. It could, it could work. It could work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pa- Pasquale, if you're listening, yeah, your idea right here. This is your next big idea. Yeah, and uh, Q Dance and Tomorrowland, mm. we're we're gonna come knocking on your door, telling you about these marketing ideas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Sweet. Well, we actually have a submitted question from a friend of ours, really, really big fan of yours. His name's Chris Perry. Okay. So he was curious to hear more about what was it like taking over Headhunters podcast Hardwood style? You know, when he initially left Hard Dance, like what was that like yeah. for you? Was it did you feel out of place? Just we're um, just curious to hear what that was like, the transition. It was an interesting experience because I felt like there was a lot of pressure, at least for the first few. Um I had a chat with headhunters management and uh stuff before i before i took it on it wasn't like a simple like hey sam can you do this next week and um yeah you're doing it um it wasn't it wasn't that kind of like hospital pass kind of situation it was um we had a chat and i was like this is what i believe hardware style could represent um and for me i wanted to try and represent a lot of flavors of of the harder styles not just like what is the latest thing that's come in through this week? So in that aspect, like I felt kind of confident of like, I can, when I was talking to the, to his management, like I, I think I'll be able to step up to the plate and this is what my vision is for, for the podcast. Um, even though I was kind of a little bit wary of the feedback that people would be giving because I'm not headhunters and, mm-hmm. and he presents things in a certain way. His track selection is, is going to be different to my track selection. What he's looking for is different to what I look for. Um, but I think the thing is as well, is that like at the end of the day, when you're recording a podcast and you're putting something together, it's not like a, a stage performance where you're filling in for somebody else in front of thousands of people. Like you don't have that same sort of thing. Like if, if it, it would be completely different if, if it was like, Hey, I've dropped out of this festival. Can you do this at this stage? And I wouldn't be ready for it. No, at the end of the day, it's still like, Oh, I need to record some voiceover in my studio, make some tracks, prepare a mix, make sure all the, uh, I, Idents and everything are in there and make sure the bumpers sound cool and, and it doesn't feel out of place and, um, and do your best to, to make it feel fun. So it didn't feel too weird when I was actually doing it. The only thing that I was a little bit wary of was just like, I'm not headhunters. People need to be mindful of it. And, and that was about it. So yeah, it was a lot of fun though. Um, it was a bit challenging to do it every month because trying to balance so much stuff at the same time, uh, can kind of get a little bit higgledy piggledy. So if you, it wasn't a live recorded podcast, it was like, uh, I needed to do, um, you know, a, a lot of stuff beforehand and then like, Oh, okay. Now I need to sort through a hundred tracks and to make sure that these, you know, fit the, the direction of what I want to go in. And, um, so in that aspect, like trying to juggle all the stuff, trying to just like time management stuff was a little bit tricky, but, uh, no, it was, it was fun. I, I enjoyed my time doing a uh, hardware style and, um, yeah, is is interesting. I don't know how um, the kind of 
trying to think of the right way to, to describe it. It's, it's kind of like a, I don't want to say a top 40, but just kind of like hour of listening to what's latest kind of podcast uh, is really the way forward. I, I, I personally prefer more talking kind of podcasts, but hard style fans are a little bit funny because when you get to the talking segment of a longer form podcast, they kind of like switch off and like, just, just give me the tunes. So it's kind of like, it's, it's a bit funny. <laughs> They're a bit funny sometimes. They fast yeah. forward through the talking part. Totally. They just yeah. want the music. It's kind of like, ah, oh, yeah. So why am I here? Why don't you just put it on Spotify? Like, exactly. Not going to lie. I, I'm kind of guilty of doing the same, but also when I'm blasting hard sell at home, I'm usually in a deep work mode and I'm oh like gosh. just trying to crank out as much as I can on my to-do list. So I'm like, mm. stop talking. I'm just trying to, I guess not headbang. Gabber in my living room. <laughs> Mentally Gabber. Mentally. I love it. <laughs> um, well, actually I have a personal question about like Q dance. Cause I know you've done for like, what is it? The connect studio sessions that you've right, done yep. for them and yeah. you play like mystery land and capital. So what is it like working with Q dance? Um, it's really, it's really interesting because, um, uh, for a lot of hardstyle fans, like they get a little bit wary of like when one brand is sort of, uh, dominating the, um, the landscape and Q dance is, is, well, they kind of invented hardstyle. They literally trademarked the name because they came it up, came up with it back in like 2001 or something like that. Oh, they, wow. yeah. they literally to the genre. So, uh, from that perspective, some people are a little bit like, Whoa, what's going on? What's, what's happening? Um, but working with them, um, quite intimately over the past ooh, five or six years, um, it's been interesting to see how they think about stuff and how committed they are into, um, uh, making the genre grow, allowing the genre to, to grow. Um, so I, I've done a couple of concepts with them. I have, of course the connect, uh, uh, live streams. I, I also host a podcast with them, the, uh, the warrior podcast. That's part of their, mm -hmm. their premium, uh, platform. So seeing them think about music and how they've kind of navigated this, uh, this minefield that's been the last two years has been really interesting as well, because they've, um, of course it's a company that wants to survive and they need to, you know, make profit because they've got shareholders and, and, you know, bosses and loads of people to pay. They've got a huge payroll, all that sort of stuff, but still at their very core, they're still music fans which is really refreshing and not what I would have expected, especially after working with them for so long. At a certain point, like some brands and some companies get very corporatized and mm -hmm. uh, I would have expected the same thing, but really at their core, even at the highest levels and, and, and shout out to Jonas, um, who's the, like the, the big boss uh, there, he's still very much a music fan and still really has a heart for the music. Some people, uh, particularly in the, in the hard dance scene, and I've noticed this uh, in other uh, organizations, sort of like kind of bored of the music. And that's fair. Like if you're exposed to it uh, almost 24 seven, at a certain point, you're kind of like, oh man, I'm kind of, I'm kind of tired of these kick drums. I, I need to listen to something else. I need to do something else. And you know, they, they're not as passionate as, as what they were when they first started way back in the days. But with, and, and I can say this hand on my heart with the people that are working at QDance, they're just ravers, not scatterbrained, but like people <laughs> that have a huge heart for, uh, the scene and the music. It's just, they've managed to turn it into a living, which is really exciting. So that's, that's kind of cool. Uh, seeing their plans, seeing the way that they, um, uh, 
design festivals, they don't think of it in terms of we want to put on a party. They put it, they think of it as we want to create experiences. And I know that sounds kind of cliched and, and, and for some, uh, um, really, really big organizations. And I'm talking like your apples and your Amazons that they, they have that kind of like slogan of like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we don't think of ourselves as like a tech company. We like think of ourselves as a lifestyle. Um, a lot of the people at QDance really like live and breathe that sort of stuff, which is refreshing to see. So what, you know, when I've sat down with them and gone into, to have a meeting, I'll like, I'll see stage designs and, and all this kind of stuff. We're like, we're thinking about this one, or we're thinking about maybe the way that the fireworks will go over through this experience and we'll, oh. we'll time it like this and we'll do this like this. And then this will happen. So they're still excited. And that's cool to see. That's so cool to see. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with uh, quite a few different artists from all over the spectrum and some sort of like, uh, this is my job. This is what I do. And um, cool. And I don't want to say that they're not appreciative of what they do. And, um, but you can say that that inner childlike spark has kind of diminished, uh, which is not, what I find when, when it is working with QDance, it's, it's really refreshing. So yeah, it's kind of different because uh, uh, plenty of other organizations don't, don't work that same way. They're like, this is our core business. We're going to do it like this. We're going to time things like this, blah, 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 blah. And it's very like businessy and, and, yeah. and stuff. And these people could work at an events company or they could work uh, at a design company or they could work um, at a law firm or, or anything like it's it, there they're not as passionate as, as they would be as a lot of the fans. Whereas what I find uh, again with, with Q is, is that they're still very much music fans first, which is exciting. I love that. It's also interesting that you mentioned the stage designs because hard dance festivals have some of the coolest stage designs that I've ever seen. Um, like I've seen, I've seen just random pictures. I don't know if it's from Q dance events or what, but there was like a monkey, a crab, like all of these really bright colors popping out of them. And it's like animals being portrayed and things like that. Whereas I feel like we don't really get that here, at least in America too, like with the other genres and in the country, um, yeah. it's more just like led boards surrounding the whole stage and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. I love that. Like, it's cool to hear that you've gotten to be in on those stage design conversations as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting and exciting. Cause I'm kind of like torn between both worlds and I'm sure that there's someone that is out there that can find the happy medium because, on the LED side of things, it can look a little stale sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like it, you, actually when you just see it from the side, or everything's switched off. There's not that sort of same sense of like magnificence as if you see like a baboon head. Or yeah, you see like that's the a one. Line, a chicken. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was on the baboon head when it was at, um, oh, cool. uh, at, at Mystery Land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one, oh, that, that was, that's kind of crazy I like, to think of. But at the same time, part of me is sort of like, but that's the stage it does it evolve? Does the experience mm-hmm. for the party goer evolve throughout the night? Um, do you get taken into a world or you, do you just see this thing? So there's a happy medium somewhere and I don't know who, who has come up with it or who will come up with it. So I see the benefits of both. Now having the LEDs allows for the artist and he to really truly represent his brand. Mm-hmm. He's got his own visuals or she's got her own visuals and, um, hopefully their own VJ or they've supplied the the right assets to the people that are working uh, behind the desk. And um, then it allows for like, you get to the stage. Oh, 
Rez is playing. Oh, Sullivan King is playing. Oh, Eptic is playing. I can see it. I recognize these cartoon characters. I recognize this sort of thing. Whereas that doesn't necessarily happen with these more um, uh, intricate but static stage designs. What would be cool yeah. would be a happy medium between yeah. both. Um, and I don't know if anyone's come up with it yet. I haven't, I haven't really seen it. So I see the pros and cons of both. Like, um, yeah, like seeing... Uh, for me as, as, as a, as a performer, when I see a photo and I see my logos all up on like the LEDs and like some, uh, some VJ assets that I've been working really hard to, to get done and realize like, um, I feel super proud because I'm like, Oh wow, there the people down in the crowd are getting the vision of, or the experience that I want them to experience. It's not just yeah. music. They're really entering a world and that's cool. And I have control a little bit of what they see and what they feel. Um, but at the same time, Fucking baboon heads, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And just like a a closing note on that too. You know, when I think about the stages that have stood out to me the most, I think about like the Rose Garden stage at Tomorrowland where it's a dragon and it's moving and it's blowing (laughs) smoke out of its, its nose and ears. That's been super cool. And then recently at EDC Orlando, you know, EDC Vegas too, the big owl, he was turning his head and his eyes were blinking stuff like that. I mean, those are so cool. But again, Mm. I thought to myself while I was at EDC Orlando, I was like, why don't they have more screens where we can see the logos and the VJs? So that happy medium, maybe we'll get there in the next few years. Who knows? Yeah, for sure. I know that like, it is such a crazy logistical, um, puzzle yeah. uh, to, to make these things happen. So again, like being privy to some of the conversations that happen with stage designs and, and watching people rig stuff up and, and what they need to know, like, dude, it's, it's like proper engineering. You know what I mean? Like the same kind of um, uh, thinking and mind that needs to go into like engineering for constructing like apartments and all that sort of stuff being like, Oh, this hook can handle this much weight and that hook can handle that much weight. And if we balance like this, we can do this, but if they handle more tolerant, if they've got higher tolerance, we can make things move all these sorts of things, the stuff mm-hmm. that we kind of don't really think about, but the, the challenges that, that, that there is to, to make something like that happen. And then on a budget. Oof, oh yeah. Yeah. Tricky, very tricky. That also reminded me. So we were at EDC Orlando. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but so we were at the hard dance stage day one. I think it was Kuhn playing. And then like every, we see everyone like looking at the stage, but then we see everyone pointing over to like all the way on the left side. And we look up in the sky and there's drones, hundreds and thousands of drones. And they're just like flying and they're spelling out EDC Orlando 2022. And then it's, it has like an owl, like, all these drones are literally just like creating like that's so dope it was it was crazy like if someone were like all the people who were off their tits that night <laughs> <laughs> who were just like cooked they were probably like aliens <laughs> like, yeah. it looked like an alien invasion when i first saw it at edc vegas we were just sitting there and then all of a sudden this owl starts flying towards yeah, everyone that's the one i saw yeah, yeah it's crazy yeah. <laughs> right and then then there was like figures as well there was like mm-hmm. huge- Oh, what is going on? Yeah, it was crazy. I'm just like, whoa. Like, and I was, and I just remember sitting there like, how long did it take to program this? Mm -hmm. And like, how many drones is that? What type of drone is that? Do you just press a button and then how you programmed it? It just all configures to get like, I was just, there's so many questions going through my head. And I was like, wow, this is insane. Like, but that was really cool. So, I mean, that could be something cool too. So whoever's headlining the main stage, 
if they don't have a spot for their visuals, they could just spell out their name. Ooh, I know that. Yeah. We're back yeah. to sign writing. We're back to planes in the air. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sudden death did that. Um, he's a very big bass artist out here in the, in the States and people, especially Denver love mm-hmm. him. But yeah, he had like a whole drone show during his Red Rocks headlining chat. Wow. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. There you go. Yeah. Maybe something, uh, something for, for us hard dance guys to take a look and like, all right, maybe we can, we can yeah. borrow a little bit of that. Yeah. All you hard dance artists take notes. <laughs> all right. So we actually have what we called, uh, what we call a lightning round. So we're just going to spit questions at you. Usually we like if you just respond quickly, but some of them obviously require a longer answer, but we'll just get right into it and then just answer along the way. Hit me. <laughs> All right. First question is, would you rather play at a large festival or a smaller intimate crowd? Smaller intimate crowd. Love it. We get that a lot. Next question. Fuck, Mary, kill. Darksiders? Little Texas or GPF? Oh, look, uh, fuck Dark, Darksiders for sure. Cause, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's definitely more of a, an intimate kind of guy, you know? <laughs> believe, oh, believe you. Good to uh, know. <laughs> kill GPF because, um, look, I love you guys, but um, I am, yeah, sorry. And then uh, Mary, Little Texas, I mean, the, the guys, have you seen the cooking that he has on his Instagram? Mm-hmm. Come on. Why wouldn't you want to marry into that? Wifey material. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah, shout out Lil Texas. I love that he just like, you know, progressively starts taking off his clothes on stage and then just like, <laughs> all right, we got it. Like there's so many people who will comment and they're like, never thought I'd be so excited to see a man in his underwear on stage. In a cowboy hat and cowboy boots too. It's a whole I know, it's up. amazing. It's amazing. I love it. And it's really, um, it's really a preview into his OnlyFans. Oh, he has an OnlyFans? He's got an OnlyFans. Yeah. Oh, word? 100%. All right. We're going to have to drop it in the comments below. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Next one. So what do you think about upcoming talent in Australia? And is there anyone you're watching in particular? Yes, there's uh, there's two names that stand out to me. Uh, the first is Firelight Ben. Shout out to Ben. Um, he does some really wonderful, fresh, melodic, uh, hard style, and it's good to see him come up as a talent. So he's he's been coming up for the past couple of years. Um, and then the next guy is Anderex, who has a really interesting take on hard style. And uh, I had a chance to sit down with him and just kind of hang out in, in at his uh, studio when I was down in Australia, and um, we connected really well. Like I like his ethos on music. I like the way that he thinks about music and, um, he's got a really cool, fresh, uh, take on, on hard dance, which is away from how things have kind of been done uh, here in the Netherlands. And I like that. I appreciate when people think in alternative ways and, uh, Andrex is definitely one who, who does that, but Ben is just a stellar producer as well. Firelight is just a stellar producer as well. Quality material. So those two. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Andrex, we've been keeping an eye on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've opened up an investigation for Anderex. So uh, nice. Yeah, he's on our radar. I, I, he's uh, he's definitely going to go places for sure. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hope we can get him out here in the states. So we'll keep an eye out. Mm. This question I'm dying to ask you, not only because it's making my mouth water. These are two of my favorite foods that I always get in the Netherlands. Would you rather have kasuflé or pafferchis? 
Look, it's poppages only because I don't like car souffle. Oh, no. Sorry. No. Look, I'll tell you why. Like, okay, so... I don't want to say I'm a foodie, but I'm very particular with my cheeses. You know, you give me some Grana Padano, uh, give me some 18 months old vintage cheddar. The cheese that they use here in the Castle is the cheap. It could be Kraft Singles, man. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just, nah, I'm, I'm out. So Poffitches wins by default. Classy guy right here. So if they had more aged cheese, then you might be more open to it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If they were using some some quality, yeah, would they have some old cheese here? Like a, there's a brand called Old Amsterdam. Yeah. Like if they were using that in Castle Flake, different story. Yeah, I, I just think back to we got out of the club Melkweg and I went over to the vending machine and I got myself three Casuflays and I think about that almost every day. Oh my, my god! <laughs> Next time you come down, you need to try croquettes and mustard. Yes, yes. That's where I first had them in the Me, that's that's my weakness. That's my kryptonite. Oh yeah. Especially drunk nights. Yeah. Yeah, here you just get like greasy pizza. Last night we went to a base show and we were like, let's go to the waffle lab because it looked bomb. It was like the it's like how can you mess up chicken and waffles? <laughs> can I just like hang on, let's just pause this for a second. Chicken and waffles, I'm sorry. Yeah. You haven't had that? You haven't had that? Savory and sweet like that? No, I'm sorry, man. I'm out. <laughs> savory and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> they have savory and sweet together. Chicken and waffles? Sorry. This is a great podcast. I like you guys, but mm-mm. No, that's a no from you. Yeah, that's a that's definite a- no. Okay, have you, have you tried it though? I just, in principle, you know, it's also like pineapple and pizza. I'm sorry. Hard no. Oh, wow. Hey, I'm with you there. Pineapple and pizza, no. Yeah. So how can you have sweet and savory (laughs) with chicken and waffles? I don't know. It's, I I thought it was weird at first too, but there's a really famous spot where I'm originally from in San Diego. It's called Roscoe's chicken and waffles. That's literally the name of the spot. And they have a ton of, like they expanded all over LA. And so I was like chicken and waffles, same thing. Like who would have that? But man, Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing. I love it. If you make it right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I might have to try it maybe on a very, very drunken night. It has to be quality ingredients. Yeah, for sure. Always. And that could also explain why we have such an obese problem out here in the States because yeah. <laughs> mixing all of these greasy foods together. Yeah. Not a good combo. I'm <laughs> glad you said it, not me. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's a problem out here. <laughs> okay. Mm. Next one. All right. We'll keep, we'll keep it going. Mm-hmm. So do you know how many countries you have played in? I don't, but it's not more than 50 because the hard dance uh, pool of countries to travel to is kind of small. Um, I, the last time I tried to count and it was just kind of like, Oh, I wonder, you know, um, it was 20 something. Wow. Um, yeah. But wow. I mean, here in Europe, you know, you throw a stone, you're in another country. So that kind of like, I don't know, does that really count? Maybe sort of, mm-hmm. uh, but uh yeah i think it was roughly something over 20 so yeah have you played in south america um no i haven't which is really strange because my family so my parents they're both colombian and there's a small hardcore scene there but it's it's quite small and i think part of the part of the problem is um just fees you know the smaller incomes 
Uh, so when they go out to the club, they listen to local music because they can afford to pay the local artists. And when they're flying somebody in, you know, to, to pay for the, the airfares and hotels and all that sort of stuff, it comes very pricey very quick. So unless you're doing like a big festival like uh, like an ultra or um, what was the other one that they had down there? They, like, did they have a mystery down there? I feel like. Yeah. Insomniac threw a show down there, I think. Yeah, so that kind, those kinds of budgets uh, can afford to, to, to bring in a lot of international talent, whereas uh, unfortunately a hard dance crowd, a little bit smaller, uh, a little bit lower on the uh, socioeconomic spectrum. So unfortunately I have it myself, but I have had a couple of friends that have played like Defcon Chile, for example. Ooh. And uh, they said the crowd Ooh. there is probably some of the best actually. I mean, I love my Aussies. The Scottish are also fantastic. Uh, they're, they're pretty wild. Um, I feel like for every Scotsman makes up for like three or four Americans on the dance floor. So it's few in number, great in spirit. The Chileans, the word on the street is the Chileans are the craziest of the bunch. That's mm. so cool. We've been wanting to go down there. Sigtos is from there. We met him That's at right. EDC Orlando. Yeah. Oh, nice. All right. One more question for you. What are your nicknames? My name is Sam. So it doesn't really get shorter than that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy. <laughs> Sammy. I know, but then uh, like usually nicknames make the name shorter, mm-hmm. right? So right. like... I've got a couple of people that call call me uh, call me Sammy, and usually, usually when that happens, I'm kind of like, all right, so what kind of evening are we getting ourselves into mm-hmm. with the whips and chains, um, you know, all this sort of stuff. You, the the people that call me Sammy usually ends off in a in a dark siders kind of direction. It's like a, a night to yes, it's a night to forget, <laughs> but to also remember. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. we're picking up what you're putting down. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Not many people call me Sammy, but the ones that do, it's a good time. Love it. That's hilarious. Well, actually, okay. I know that we said that was our last question, but sure. I was actually just very curious. Hit me. What is it with the Pope outfit? Hmm. Oh, okay. So priests, um, Priest. what it, it comes down, it comes down to this. Like it was a combination between trying to achieve a couple of different goals and tie a lot of strings together. The first and foremost is this. Um, I can't speak to other genres, but at least for hard dance, people treat hard style and hardcore like a religion, very much so. And so because of that, it's kind of turned a few gears in my head. I'm like, well, if people treat it like a religion, well, who's the religious leader? Hmm? That was the first uh-huh. kind of thing. So like that was started festering and simmering in the back of my mind. And then while I was doing that, I've always been drawn to um, using like occultic imagery. So be that like triangles and points and stars and all that sort of stuff, or be that like tarot cards. There's something about that kind of stuff that has always drawn, drawn me. So I'm like, oh, okay, let's, let's grab some like religious flavor and text and, and stuff and use that as, as part of the branding. And then finally, um, the, the thing that I wanted to do, and this is probably the main reason, is that like um, I was kind of going through a bit, of, a bit of an identity crisis and I wanted to rebrand my look in terms of have something that is recognizable, um, but also something that um, uh, is easy to do. People already knew my face, so I couldn't like put on a mask, couldn't do the bare grills. I couldn't do the, the war face, the hard drive or whatever. I couldn't just like slap something on because everybody knows me anyway. So it's sort of like, okay, can't do that. Uh, do I wear a certain kind of suit? What can I do? Our camo has been done to death. I can't wear like a, you know, bulletproof vest or anything. That's just ridiculous. It's not who I am, but wouldn't it be funny if we tie some of these things together 
and dress with a black shirt and a white collar, something that can trigger people very quickly into like, oh, okay, um, with very, very little work um, without uh, having to overdo things too much. Um, and by doing that and thinking about it, originally what I was wanting to do was like a total white suit and a black tie. But then I was like, what if we invert that? And when I pictured that in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's a priest thing. Okay. Can I become a priest? Is that possible? I know that the United States is a freedom of religion. Oh yeah. It turns out you can just apply to become like a, a reverend online. So I did that. And then I started wearing it and I was just like, oh, cool. Reverend of Rafe. Let's go with it. Let's roll with it. And, uh, and, and go from there. So the thing that I love about it is that there's a lot of like, um, parallels between, uh, religion and people, how people feel about music and how people feel about hard dance in particular. Um, and had no one had really done it in uh, hard dance before. So I was like, Oh, sweet, easy. I can, I can get a shirt. I can use the same shirt and have to look fashionable all the time. You know, and I have to yeah. keep on scouring for the latest Supreme wear or whatever. I just <laughs> have to worry about the drip. I just got a black shirt and a white collar and makes things easy and then can kind of play with people's emotions and then use that as a jumping off point to, to do a lot of like branding stuff as well. So, yeah. That's hilarious. I love that. <laughs> it's, it's a couple of different things that all kind of coalesced into like one idea that, and the fact that I, I actually legitimately was uh, raised in a, in a Christian house and sort of like as a way to uh, put my own stamp on things and sort of like, uh, well, why don't I just take some of these things I already know There's something that's like been foundational in terms of like my philosophies and, and whatever, and then turn that on its head and use that. And, uh, and there you go. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hell yeah. That's, yeah. that's really awesome. Yeah. Well, appreciate you for answering. Explanation, but, um, at the same time, it's just kind of like, yeah, it, I know that, um, uh, it ruffles feathers and especially in this day and age, you kind of need to do a little bit of that, uh, to keep people interested. And, uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, what's really funny though, like the amount of times that I walk through a festival and then people sort of like change their behavior, like, Oh, sorry, father. I'm not knowing <laughs> if I'm a performer or not. And like, Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get all really self-conscious or even better sort of like, <laughs> especially EDC where people dress a little bit more uh, liberally. Be yeah. like, Oh, father, I've, I've got some confessions. I'm like, oh, I'm all ears. Um, I'm all ears to your confessions. Yeah, it's it's just fun. Yeah, they play along with the act too, which um, makes it like yeah. it's more of an experience that way. Totally, totally. So match that with like, say for instance, um, you know, performing with where there's some LEDs, like I've got some imagery that uses like, you know, pentagrams and like stuff from like the Alessa Key of Solomon and all sorts of stuff where it feels like very occulty. It all comes together in a cool way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, we might make it out to ultra Miami. So if we do, we'll definitely hit you up and we'll definitely catch your set. Yeah. So fingers crossed that ultra accepts our media passes requests. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's a thing. Of course. Yeah. I was like, I'm not trying to drop $700 on a pass. So yeah. 700. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. They got a payroll too. Oh my gosh. Wow. So Ultra, if you're listening, it's Dubsup FBI media credential. You heard it here first. first. Yeah. (laughs) Sweet. Well, do you have any final words to say to everyone who's tuning in right now and listening? Um, keep an open mind, turn your bass up, enjoy some hard dance. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's all I got to say. Love it. Hell yeah. 
Sweet. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Like Chrissy had mentioned earlier, you are officially our first artist on this podcast that is not under the base realm. So it was really fun to have you. It was such a great episode. Um, but hopefully we get to see you in ultra Miami or at another show, wherever it may be. Everyone be sure. sure to follow audio freak on all social medias, as well as the filthy beat inspectors. And we'll see you all at the next show brave, whatever that is. Yes. Thanks again.